Today, we kick off 2021 reconnecting with the soul and discussing how inner work can transform our outer world. Boy, what a timely topic. Hi, it's Cheryl Sitz, welcoming you to Exploring Possibilities, a podcast journey to remember who you are. We've podcast over 250 conscious conversations since 2012. You'll find all of those at journeyofpossibilities.com and new episodes broadcasting on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, other popular podcast platforms, and youtube.com slash Cheryl Sitz. Do you learn and grow from listening to this show? Are we helping you to expand your awareness? If so, please contribute to its continuation at journeyofpossibilities.com slash support. We'll be right back with Dr. Serge Beddington Barons. Hi, I'm Mario Rosales. I am the producer of Exploring Possibilities. I actually do IT work. I do website design. I do uh, remote support. You know, one of the things that I've been having recently, I've been working with people that are on Wix and At the beginning, even I had the idea that Wix wasn't that powerful. But as I started working with it, I found out that there is so much more in there that we are not taking advantage of. We're not taking advantage of its database functionality. We're not taking advantage of their autoresponders. And a lot of this comes included for free in some of their packages. I've learned the system very well to the point that I can train you on how to do it. Or if you ask me to, to do some complicated task, I can design it for you within Wix. Then after I'm done, I give you the training on how to use it. And then if you have any troubles, you can always call me. Thank you. I am Mario Rosales, and you can reach me at MarioRosales.com. Let me help you out wherever I can. Thanks. Serge Beddington Barons is an Oxford-educated transpersonal psychotherapist, shaman, activist, and spiritual educator. He was awarded the Italian Knighthood in 2000 for his services to humanity and has spent 40 years conducting spiritual retreats around the world. In the 1980s, he co-founded the Institute for the Study of Conscious Evolution in San Francisco. He has written Awakening the Universal Heart, and the book we'll be discussing today, Gateways to the Soul, Inner Work for the Outer World. He is coming to us today live from Mallorca, Spain, and we so appreciate you joining us. You can find him online at SergeBeddingtonBarons.com. Welcome, Dr. Beddington Barons. Thank you, Cheryl. Welcome. We are so glad to have you. I thoroughly enjoyed your book. I read a lot of books doing this show, and you brought some fresh perspective to topics that we have discussed before, so I look forward to exploring those with you. In the beginning of your book, you start out by saying, yes, my dear friend, the problem we all face today is that we live in a world that has become increasingly desacralized, that limits our ability to expand into our humanity and tries to shrink and diminish diminish us, to enchain our hearts and scrub away our soulfulness. And that you say that you wrote the book inviting us to come on a journey to unchain ourselves and become more soulful in our daily lives. And you give us a lot of practices for that. What brought that to the point that you decided to write a book about it after all these years doing this work? Well, Cheryl, I kind of think that the things we need to learn are the things we're best about. I mean, um, and I was born into a rather soulless family, and the story I inherited was a rather sort of separate one that I was a superior kind of being because my parents had titles and because I was, quote, upper, upper middle class and... I always felt very uncomfortable with that because uh, my background was one that there were a lot of gold spoons that were 
shoved in my mouth, but not a lot of soul. So I didn't feel very happy. And I realized that that particular world, because I think we live in many worlds, was not a world that I wanted to inhabit very much longer, a world of power and status and, and fame and materiality and having things and how one looks. And if people are of a particular race or class, and that was the rather prejudiced, homophobic, quasi-racist world that I was brought up in. Um, I was born in 1945. So, so, so it has been my own personal journey, Cheryl, to try and find a surge that was not part of this story because I feel that we all have soul inside us, but we've got to discover it. It's not a given. Um, we come into the world with the challenge, are we going to stay as our ego self and sort of live out the stories that we inherited, or are we going to try and discover a deeper us, who we really are? And so, so, so I guess... That's been my journey all my life. And so I wrote a book about it. <laughs> you wrote a great book about it. And thank you for that insight into your background. You then found your way to Findhorn in Scotland, this amazing spiritual community right out of college. That does not seem to align with the story that you've shared of your upbringing. So talk about a radical trajectory in a different direction. Well, sort of Findhorn was what is known now as an intentional community. And in those days, Cheryl, it was a few caravans on a tiny little caravan site. And Peter and Eileen Caddy, who were the founders, and growing incredible huge vegetables out of a tiny little bit of sand and having machines work far beyond their capacity, because the idea was that if we bring love in, that, 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 that we can change the consciousness around us. And I arrived at Findhorn, and I just felt I'd found my spiritual family, that here were people who loved me for me, not because I was special, but because I was a human being. And I shared my caravan with a guy who was a very working class man and another guy who was black. And I'd never really met these kind of people before. And they became my great friends and my teachers. And I've stayed friends with them all my life. So it was a wonderful revelation because I feel that, that we all are challenged to embrace the humanity of all of us. And so um, that was my first kind of gateway, if you like, into a more spiritual worldview. So um, I had now been given a vision of what life could be like if we were to relate with heart and humanity and kindness and compassion i.e. All the, all the values that your sort of lovely Joe Biden is stressing now, um, 
And so it was a great introduction. It was wonderful. I have to mention here that we are actually going to interview Alan Watson Featherston about the Findhorn, I think I was saying it wrong, the Findhorn community and the book about that on April 25th. So for more on this topic, listeners, please join us at that time. Possibly the next thing we need to do is cover your definition of soul, because this whole conversation is about bringing more soul to our daily lives and back into the way we express in the world and connect with the world. I love your definition of soul. Would you like to share that with us? My goodness, I'm just trying to think what it is, my definition <laughs> of soul. Well, I've got it flagged oh. here. I can I can go ahead and read what you've written. Oh, yes, can you read? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, because it's funny, you write a book and you suddenly think, oh, that would be a nice idea. I wonder what. Or, or you read a book, gosh, that's interesting. I never knew that that, that was so. I think sort of basically... Um, what I said was that soul is the deeper part of us that is timeless and um, exists outside of space and time and is that part of you and I that connects us to the isness of everything around that affirms our interconnectedness with all of life, with the trees, with the birds, the bees, the mineral kingdoms, the animal kingdoms, the angelic kingdoms, and it's that part of you and I that knows what we need to do for our next step. So when I went to Findhorn, something deep inside me said, you've got to go to this spiritual community. You've got to stop going to all these fancy parties in London, because I was a big party man when I was younger, but it's soul that sort of leads us and soul speaks to us through our hearts so that we each have to develop our soul because just because we're born with a soul, Cheryl, it doesn't mean that it comes out of hiding. It's hidden. And the name of the life game is what do we need to do to bring our soul out of hiding? And there's quite an incentive to do so because the more it comes out of hiding, the less we're run by our egos and the happier we become. Again, I think of your, of your sort of wretched orange man who has now had to concede um, um, that he's lost the election as, as an example of the most soulless kind of human being that I could ever imagine as a completely empty shell of a person. And yet, I think he served a very good purpose as emblematic of a particular facet of your American society that is soulless. Yes, it's interesting that you bring up what's happening in the United States literally this week of this podcast. I mean, how do you miss that? And it's really not just a U.S. situation. We see similar things occurring in other parts of the world. It's these, what you talk about so perfectly in, your, in the book, it's the shadow aspects of us being brought to light so that we can transform that if we are ready to do so. Well, absolutely. I think 
that were at a time where our old society is falling away, a new one, a new world is trying to be born, yes. but newness casts its shadow in front of it. So before you and I, at a personal level, can move to our next step, we need to confront what it is inside us that is stopping us, i.e. our selfishness, our materiality, our our addiction to power, whatever is in our dark side. And I think your country is having to confront an aspect of itself that is rather soulless. And, and, um, but it's so interesting that the forces of soullessness have not won out, that the forces of, of goodness have come out. But the shadow cannot be ignored. If we try to kick the shadow, it will come back and kick us much harder. So somehow Joe Biden and, and his team are going to have to find a ways to integrate and embrace a part of your society that is very white supremacist, that is very angry, that is racist, that is confused, that feels inadequate. It's very interesting that a lot of the people in the Proud Boys are incels, which means an involuntary celibate, men who are angry with women because the men are not attractive enough in order to attract sort of women into their lives. And so that brings a kind of violence and these facets of your society, they have to be embraced. We have to integrate the shadow. So moving on is not sort of moving beyond our dark side, but it's embracing it. And the gift that Trump and all his um, Republican enablers have given um, America is that now the shadow is out in the open. As long as it's hidden, it controls you. But now one really knows what the deal is. So one, so, so then one has ways of being able to deal with it. But I think your society are facing great challenges in the next year, which I'm sure you're going to be up to dealing with. I feel very positive for your country. It's interesting to listen to someone outside of this country and what is observed from the outside, because as someone living <coughs> in the South, in the U.S., I'm surrounded by Trump supporters, and the language of them is not white supremacy and elitist. It is, we're fighting for the working man, and the, he, this is good for our economy, and this is good. The working man have to stay working. Our economy needs Trump. So there's... The interesting thing about the shadow is, as you so eloquently put in your book, it's hidden. So whereas what is seen around the world by my international friends very clearly is masked here and what they believe they're fighting for is not necessarily what actually is. I think we have an initial challenge to see what is instead of what we're being sold and fed. Well, what all totalitarian dictatorships have thrived on is they've got to deal 
with people who are not able to accept the existing reality. It's too difficult. It's too hard. So, you know, going back to Hitler and sort of going back hundreds of years, one has always had conspiracy theories, um, and they've always been used by dictators to make the actual reality a little more palatable. And Trump has certainly had a genius as as being able to create a cult around him, a dark cult around him, perhaps because he's so um, sort of monstrous, he's allowed men to let their own sort of monstrousness out of the closet. But the terrible problem is that that they've believed in the lies that he's told them. And, uh, I mean, millions of people in your country still believe the election was rigged because they don't want to um, believe in the actual truth of what happened. So um, when people are confused, when people feel alienated, when people feel that they don't quite belong, when people feel that the American dream has not been realized in their lives and they've somehow been cheated, they're vulnerable and angry. And what Biden is going to have to deal with is a lot of very angry, confused and misguided people. And you cannot say to someone who believes in QAnon, look, it's all nonsense. You know, the the Democrats are not sort of flesh-eating, child-molesting sort of pedophiles, um, and and the world is not going to be saved by Trump, who is not the second coming. You can't say that because people are so identified with their beliefs. And if we look back in history, Cheryl, we see that um, in war, sort of people have killed each other in the millions because of their beliefs. Sort of look at the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation. Right. Or sort of the Crusades. We kill people because they don't believe the same as we are. So somehow, Biden has to appeal to the common human denomination and yes. not pour resentment on um, on the QAnon, and all those people who sort of occupied um, the main citadels of power are kind of not bad people. They're people who are misguided. They're people who feel angry. They're people who feel they have a story to tell and no one listens to their story. And they found somehow in in Trump... um, a clan leader, a tribal leader, who is giving them permission to vent their anger. And it's a very challenging situation. Yes, yes, sir. I agree with you on that one. I'm sorry for that long sermon, but but you said you wanted me to talk about this. So I'm just, you know, sharing what I say. And I have some friends who are good friends who are conspiracy theorists. Um, It's doing the rounds at this moment. But the thing I've realized about your country is that those people 
who feel angry in the area of Black Lives Matter have exactly the same issues as those who believe in QAnon, but they're just on the other side of the yes. counter. Yes. What is needed is a marriage of the left and right, and that is what needs to be structured so that there isn't a hatred between the left and the right. And again, that's the challenge of Biden and Kamala Harris, and I'm sure that they're going to live up to it. Time will definitely tell. Right now, we have a whole lot of angry citizens. I mean, that anger... The anger in this country is palpable. I'm very empathic. Yeah. I can feel the anger of the collective. Some days yeah. I wake up and I don't want to get out of bed and it's not mine. It's it's, it's not, the exactly. collective. And it's like, wow, how do we wade through this and begin to move forward? Because truly, as you say, the new earth that we're creating, the future world is one in which we come together around our differences instead of polarizing. And right now we see just how polarized we truly are. And, you know, at the heart of a lot of this is the basic fear of, I mean, I've spoken about it before, economics. It's economics. It's are we going to be okay? Am I going to have enough? Am I? You talk about that in your book. You talk about the materialistic impulse and and what that triggers. And uh, you want to speak about that a little bit now for us? Well, I think it's very frightening if your life is dependent upon your next wage packet coming in. Yes. And one can't really. Well, there's a wonderful spiritual saying that goes, no God, but tether your camel first, i.e., you know, deal with the physical materialistic side of life, because it's very important. We can't survive without it. And a lot of people's survival is being threatened. And when our survival is being threatened, as you say, one gets very angry. And um, so, and I mean, it's not only in your country, but it's all over the world. I mean, really? um, me and my wife have just started um, a fund to try to help people in the town in Polienza, um, where there's people starving because, um, you know, they wait on tables or they're musicians who perform gigs and suddenly they don't have any work. Right. It's really hard if you're an artist and you earn your money through going and you and you play gigs, there's no more gigs. Right. You've got to do it all online, and you don't earn the same money online. So, so there's tremendous challenges, but I feel that these challenges ultimately are going to unite us. Um, when we go to the depths of the dark, when we really travel into the heart of the dark night of the soul, a new spirit emerges of altruism and kindness. And I've written about that. I believe in the altruistic spirit inside, inside humanity. I believe in all of us that there's a very altruistic part and compassionate part. And um, I feel that we're going to get there, but it'll be a difficult road. I think humanity is facing a big initiation this year. And I'm seeing it in my own personal life, exactly like you, Cheryl. I sometimes wake up in the morning and, and I don't feel happy. And I, and I realize this isn't me. I'm picking up the collective malaise because we're all interconnected. And that's the important thing. 
you really speak to that well in the book. You paint a picture of, well, you go into some of the darkness, the darkness that we see on earth in terms of nature, in terms of politics, in terms of community, in terms of economics, in terms of religion. And then you take us on a journey through different exercises and meditations to begin to see how this is all a reflection of our own disconnection from our soul and how to build that connection back in order to build a better world. What a perfect time to come out with a book like this. I think it's beautiful that you followed your inspiration to write it. What You want to share just a couple of things out of the book, maybe that for a listener that would like to find some peace in what's going on in the world or at least some direction to begin to heal our own individual part in it? Wow. Well, I think we need to f- we need to find our own myth. We need to find what is our purpose in the world and do that because then we have then as it were the force in Star Wars, the force is with us. We're aligned to 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 a deeper flow of evolutionary intelligence in the world. And so we need to try and find what our thing is, and we need to operate in a way that serves our fellow human beings. I mean, I feel very privileged. I, you know, I I teach seminars and and I um I work with people online, and I feel very privileged to be doing this work. And by the way, whoever sort of listens to this, if you're stuck and you'd like to talk with me and have a free session, I I would be happy to give you a free session. You just need to get the time zone between Mallorca and where you live in the States, but I'd be very happy to give you a free session. Now, that's not generosity. I'm doing it for myself because it feels good. It feels good to be of service in my in my little way. So I feel that we all need to do the things that are important. I've got a chapter on friendship because I think friends and having friends and being friendly is so important. And I've got a chapter on, you know, the things that get in the way of of friendship and how important it is if we can just have a friendly attitude to people who see the world sort of differently from us, to people who we consider different from us. If we can just open our hearts to them, say that they're another human being, and not see them through our old lenses, whereby we see people as either better than us, and up there, and we'll never be there, or sort of less than us, And so we look at them in a demeaning way. We just need to see people as people, as as ordinary human beings. And wherever I go, I try to smile and be friendly to people. And so I kind of befriend the world. I feel a friend of the earth. I feel a friend of humanity. And I think that that's the important thing. I mean, I've got a buddy here who believes in QAnon. Um, We had a lovely coffee. I didn't try to persuade them or, you know, in sort of anything. I I just had coffee and enjoyed them in terms of their humanity. They just happened to believe something different from me, but so what? 
<laughs> <Yes. Yeah. laughs> so how would you suggest someone, we have so much polarization right now in the, yeah. in the world like never before. So someone's listening to this and feeling very polarized from their friends on specific issues. What would you share with them to begin to shift from that perspective of polarization into a space of compassion and love? Well, I guess we need to work at opening our hearts. When um, I think it was, I think it was Rumi who said, um, "Without an open heart, you can only get to the outer courtyard." If you want to go to the inner sanctum, you need only your heart will get there. I think it's what my first book's about, as how to open your heart, because we really need to work at doing this. Um, and I think having an open heart, Cheryl, is behind our ability to be friendly towards people and to enjoy people. It's more an attitude inside us. Don't get involved in the struggle. Get involved in the things that unite us. Yes. So if you have a friend who lives next door and, and they believe in Trump and you believe in Biden, Share the things that you have in common. You know, you know. perhaps you have children at the same school. You know, perhaps you're both interested in playing tennis. So find the things that unite you sort of with that other person and don't try and convert them. Yes. Because conversion never works. Amen. Yes, I'm right. How dare you believe in this? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And and neither does focusing on the differences. I mean, that's what you were just painting the picture of. If we focus on what makes us different, there is no bridge. There is no common ground to meet on. Exactly. Sort of find the common ground because there's always a common ground. Yes, there is. Um, And when I saw the newsreel of those people who'd invaded, I kind of... um, your sort of inner sanctum, I kind of felt, well, they're kind of angry people, you know? And and there's things in the world that the world is very difficult at the moment. And and one feels confused and alienated and separate. Yes. So how can we work at 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 finding the things that unify us? Yeah. That well and, and COVID kind yeah. of laid the groundwork for all of this, right? I mean, COVID had, has escalated fear, has escalated our insecurities in, in ways that we probably didn't expect to have done. And so we're already raw. We've been through a year of diminished income for many, compromised health, so many things. And to come in on the heels of that with, unexpected world events, unexpected election turnouts, unexpected whatever. It, we're just ripe for that. We're ripe and raw and ready to flare up if we aren't healing our wounds as we realize them. I gave a seminar a few months ago when COVID first came out, Cheryl, and I called it um, Fierce Grace, because in a way, I think it's putting us through an initiation Yes. And here's a funny little story. I live on a street in the town of Polienza in in Mallorca. 
I never really knew my neighbors, you know, and we were all sort of locked up in our houses. But every evening at seven, we'd get out and clap and there'd be music. And I, I'd play the guitar a bit. So I went out and my sort of harmonica and songs and I began to sing Bob Dylan and, um, and Dawes songs. I mean, I have a terrible voice. <laughs> um, but somehow it was a unifying thing. And now I know all the neighbors on the street were all friendly because we all came out and we've all done things to help each other and sort of bring food and we've had parties together and it's fantastic. Fabulous. And 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 it's the spirit of neighborliness that is so important. It's kind of sort of being being sort of local. There's a lovely saying called think globally but act locally. What can we do for our local community that that serve the well-being of the whole? Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. And it has brought gifts. If we will only take a moment to recognize the the gifts that have been that are often packaged in difficult times, right? We can either focus on, oh, this has been horrible. We've had all these bad things happen and everybody's fearful. Or we can look at the blessings that have come through. And there have been a lot for many people. Maybe they've left a job that they didn't particularly like in the first place or whatever the case, they're on to a better one. So I, I love this conversation. It's been so timely. And again, we're talking about the book, Gateways to the Soul, Inner Work for the Outer World. There is just some beautiful content to this book. Is there something else you'd like to share about the book with us today that you're feeling guided to talk about? What do I feel? Well, perhaps the connection between inner work and outer work. Yes. That we're all told that we need to go out to work to earn a living, but it's only an external living. I say we need to earn our inner living. And if we don't sort of focus on also earning our inner living, we won't have a rich inner life. And that again is where soul comes in, because the substantial part of you and I is our soulfulness and our and and our inner life. And we need to work on ourselves. We need to work and learn to see ourselves. What sort of gets in the way of our pain, um, of our happiness? Why are we always creating relationships that don't work? Sort of what patterns can we change inside ourselves? What what beliefs do we have that um, that are old-fashioned? What What's our value system? Can we create a new value system? That's the inner work. And we can do it on ourselves. And I show in the book that we don't necessarily have to have a psychotherapist to do inner work, to do a lot of inner work on ourselves. And I give sort of, you know, techniques how to do this. And then as our inner work, as we grow inwardly so it changes how we see the outer world and then our lives can be more about making a difference in the outer world but if we don't do the inner work our distortions will simply get expressed in what we do in the outer world 
my dear parents had never done any inner work and they had no knowledge of themselves. And we can't afford now to not have have knowledge about ourselves. And I and I recommend to everyone that they learn to meditate. And and if you buy this book and you need any help on 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 any of the sort of exercises, you're free to get in touch with me. I'll be very happy to help you. And as I said, um, if anyone wants to contact me, um, whatever you want to say, I would be, you know, I'd be delighted to hear from you. That's lovely. And you do speak about courage in the book. This does take some courage, but it's, it's kind of ironic if we realized how much courage it takes not to do our inner work and continue to fight those demons as they manifest in our outer world as a reflection day upon day upon day upon day. Mine got too big. That's what I think often we're prompted into our inner work because the outer world gets too difficult and we have no choice but to turn inward. Absolutely, Cheryl. I mean, exactly with me. And also, if there were no dragons in the world, how could we have courage if there were not things that scared us? Yes. If we didn't feel inadequate, how could we have courage? I think that there was a lovely book that was written in the 70s called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Yes. And I think sort of courage comes through choosing to do what's right. And I'm just going to tell you a quick little story. A man I knew who was a very timid person was going home after work and he stood um, waiting for his train and suddenly a baby fell onto the lines and the train was right there. The guy jumped down, pushed the baby up, just leapt up. His jacket was ripped off, but he was okay. And when I asked him about this, I said, Harry, I didn't know that you were brave. And he said, I didn't either. <laughs> but at the moment the baby fell down, I had to jump. Something in me made me jump. And I had all the time in the world. Now, so that courage comes into us as we choose it. But yes. something else happened. Harry's whole life changed from that one incident. He changed jobs to do something that he really wanted to do. And he decided to travel around the world and experience different tribes. And so when we choose altruism, when we choose to do good to people, it brings up it surfaces all the qualities that live inside our soul, like love and courage and compassion, goodness. So, um, so, so when we say, I'm not brave, it's not true. We all have it inside us. We, we maybe just haven't been in touch with it. And it's very easy to be in touch with it. We just need to choose it. Do something that you're a little bit scared of doing. You know, confront a person in a truth that you need to say to them. You know, tell your boss exactly what you feel. But sort of do it in a, you know, you don't have to do it in a nasty way, but sort of tell the truth. And when we tell the truth and, and operate in that way, courage comes into us. 
That is absolutely a perfect place to close this conversation. What a beautiful sentiment. And it's so true. We are stronger, more more amazing than we can imagine if we'll just begin to explore that for ourselves. Thank you so much for joining us today. What a fabulous conversation. Thank you, dear Cheryl. An honor connecting with you. Thank you for having invited me. Enormous pleasure. And um, I wish all the listeners a very happy new year. And don't forget to have fun. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the show. Let us know what you thought, please, at journeyofpossibilities.com. We always welcome your feedback. And we will see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.